Hello, beloved, and welcome to this evening's message where we are looking at the book of Revelation. We're still busy with our study on Revelation. We're busy with our study on the book of Revelation in chapter 5. And wow, it is amazing. And tonight we're going to look at verse 7 and verse 8, I think 9 and 10 as well. And then just go to another passage of Scripture that I believe is, is so important for us just to be reminded of again. Now, Revelation chapter 5, verse 7 says the following. It says, Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Before we continue, let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come to you in Jesus' name. And thank you for what you are sharing with us in the book of Revelation. As we see more of Christ, as we learn more about Christ, as the revelation of Christ becomes clearer and clearer and clearer to us. We pray, Father, please, in Jesus' name, open up your word to us so we may understand and enable me as your servant to teach your people. So I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, then he came. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, obviously, God the Father sits on the throne. There is someone who is worthy to take the scroll that will be able to open up that scroll. And obviously, that would be the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And he takes the book from God the Father. All right, that is on, how can I say, Jesus is on the right hand of the Father, yeah? So Jesus goes and he takes the scroll and he is worthy to open up that scroll. Right, so this tenseness that was in heaven for the fact that there was no one worthy on earth or in the heavens or under the earth who would be able to open up this book, the scroll. Here comes the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and he is worthy. And he is the one who can open up the scroll. All right. Then we get to verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It's interesting. You see this picture. We see the, the bowls, the golden bowls full of incense. And this is what John sees in his vision. But then the explanation comes of what it is. What are these golden bowls full of incense? Well, it's the prayers of the saints. It's the prayers of all believers of all times. Beloved, you know what? Your prayers and my prayers and the prayers of all believers over all of time are kept in heaven. It's before God, continuously. So next time when you pray, remember. And it's not as if your prayer is recorded in heaven. I don't know what, how it works. But what we can say and what we do know is that our prayers are kept in heaven. Okay? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, it, it says, Now when he had taken the scroll, that's when Jesus Christ took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, which represents all the redeemed over all time, nah, they fell down before the Lamb. 
and each having a harp and a golden and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You see all of Christendom and the living beings bow before the Lamb because He is worthy. Beloved, it's, it's amazing. What a picture. He is worthy. And therefore, they bow down before Him. And, and obviously, bowing down is an act of worship, an amazing act of worship. And, and Jesus Christ is worthy to be worshipped, for he is the only one who can open up the scroll. And then this, this real comfort that I've just touched on, to know that every single prayer that we've ever prayed is stored up in heaven. Oh, beloved, amazing. Amazing. Now, when we get to verse 9 and 10, we read the following. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. All right, just there. So they sing this new song, and in this song, they declare with boldness that Jesus Christ is worthy to take the scroll, and to open its seals, and then they tell us who he is. Who is this one that is able to open up the seals, to take the scroll? He says, For you were slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you've made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on this earth. But I just want to focus your attention on, on these words. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So we're talking here about people who are truly saved. Eh? This is who we are talking about. People who are truly saved from every sphere of life, every language, every culture, every nation, every ethnic group, name it. From every kind of person that you find on the face of this planet, there are people that have been redeemed by God. Beloved, and I want to remind us, uh, we all need reminding. Sometimes we just need a good reminder of, of what our salvation is. I mean, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been washed of our sin. We've been reconciled with God. We have this privilege of, being, uh, of, of coming into the presence of the Almighty God with boldness because of what Christ had done for us on on Calvary when he died and took our sin upon himself and paid the penalty for our sin. But I would like us to go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 10. And the reason why I want us to just touch on Ephesians chapter one, uh, 2 verse 1 to 10 is I think it's one of the most beautiful passages, passages of Scripture in the New Testament that explains to us what our salvation looks like. Why are we saved? And it starts off like this. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 10. Verse 1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The first verse tells us that every single believer, before they got born again, before this miracle took place in their life where they were 
we're, we're basically transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom uh, of God's glorious son and from death to life. Before that happened, he says, we, uh, and you, speaking to the Ephesian believers, he says, you he made alive. Beloved, and it takes a miracle for someone to become alive, which means that they were dead because it says, it says, who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, we were not just dead. We were dead in something. There was, there was something that kept us in bondage to death, and that was our uh, trespasses and our sins because the wages of sin is death. Beloved, so this picture that we need to see when we read Ephesians chapter 2, especially verse 1, is there's a corpse. And that corpse is me. Obviously, and you. Now We're looking at it now. So there's this corpse. That's you and me. Okay? This corpse is dead. But why is it dead? There's a reason why this corpse is dead. This corpse is dead because of trespasses and sins. This corpse received the wages of their sin. All right, and that is death. So they received the, the wages of sin, which is death, and there you have a dead corpse. Just there it is. But now our passage comes and tells us, and this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian believers, he says, You he made alive. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, he made you alive. Beloved, a miracle took place in the life of the Ephesian believers for them to become alive. And likewise, for each and every believer, there is a miracle that takes place for us to become alive. And obviously, it was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus' blood was, was shed on our behalf, the fact that he took our sin upon himself... That is the reason why he can make us alive. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But amazing that the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesian believers that, yeah, they were all dead. And they've been made alive because they were dead in their trespasses and sins. Verse 2 tells us, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Oh, so there's, even though the believers in Ephesians or in Ephesus, even though they were basically dead in their trespasses and sins, yet they were still able to do certain things. So what Paul is doing here is giving us a spiritual picture of what unsaved people look like and then what saved people look like once God regenerates them, once God makes them alive. I believe this becoming alive or being made alive is regeneration. All right, so uh, Paul comes and he says to the Ephesian uh, believers, he says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. So there was a stage where it was very visible that these people, these Ephesian believers, this is now before they got reborn, eh? before they got regenerated, that these believers, when they, while they were dead in their trespasses and sins, what they did was, you could see that they were dead because they were walking according to the course of this world. You could see worldliness in them. You could see the characteristics of what somebody looks like that are in this world, living according to this world, doing the things of the world, uh, being in, 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 in enmity against God. 
And so you can go on and on and on. So that's the way that these Ephesian believers, that's what they used to do. They used to walk in accordance to the course of this world. So if you looked at their lives, before they got born again, eh? if you looked at their lives and you looked at the lives of people who were completely unsaved and who were living, let's say, in the world, in accordance to the world, and doing everything that their hearts and wishes were, their own you know, desires and so on, beloved, <laughs> that's exactly how they were doing things, these Ephesian believers. But they were made alive. Something happened and something changed in their lives. But this is what they used to do. But that's not why Paul ends. He says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So these Ephesian believers, before God regenerated them, before they were born again, before they became alive, before this miracle took place in their lives to to take them from death to life, they were following after the devil. Because the devil is the prince of the power of the air, eh? because he says it, he is the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. So, not only were they walking in accordance, these Ephesian believers, were they walking in accordance to, to the world and all the things that you see in the world? No, that's not all. What they were doing is they were walking in accordance to the prince of the power of the air, Satan controlled them. Satan was the one who basically uh, gave them direction in life and what they should do and what they shouldn't do and how and whatever. It came from the devil. Because, you see, it's the spirit of the devil or it's the devil that works in the sons of disobedience. You see, now he comes in verse 3 and he says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Yo, he says, and, and Paul includes himself here. Not just He's not just saying that the Ephesians, oh, they are the naughty boys and naughty girls. No, that's not what he says. He includes himself. He says that among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Whatever the flesh wanted and desired, we did it. Every single kind of sin or uh, transgression or anything that our hearts desired, we would just do it. We would just follow after it. That's what Paul says. And, and he says, Ephesian believers, this is what you looked like before. Okay? So, he says, among whom we also conducted ourselves in accordance to our flesh, it says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So, whatever came up in the mind of the Ephesian believers before they became believers, that's what they would do. They, they would just live out all the desires of the flesh that they had. All the things that came up in their mind. And remember, their minds were filled with trespasses and sins. But, but everything that came up in their minds, they just, they just did it. They fulfilled every single desire that they had, every single desire that their flesh had, every single desire uh, that came up in their mind. They would just do it, willfully. Just do it. Just follow the flesh and follow the, the world and follow the prince of the power of the air. 
That's what the Ephesian believers did. That's what their lives look like. And all we need to do today is look around you. And you will find that people look exactly like that. Many, many, many people. Every single unsafe person, actually. Every single person that has not been born of the Spirit of God. They just do whatever they want, whenever they want to do it. They, they are dead in their trespasses and their sins. They, how can I say, they, they, they will, they're walking in accordance to the, to the devil himself. Are they doing the works of the devil? Yeah. They conduct themselves uh, in a way that they, how can I say, every desire of their flesh, they just give in to it. All right, and whatever comes up in their minds, they just do it. Doesn't matter whether God wants it or God doesn't want it or God likes it or God doesn't like it. Whether it's uh, righteous works or not, it's got nothing to do with it. Before the Ephesian believers became born again, before they were saved, before God made them alive, they did whatever their hearts desired. It's so sad. Verse 3 continues to say, And... Talking about the Ephesian believers, you were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So Ephesian believers, you were not any different to anyone else. Because remember, everybody on the face of this planet, every child that is born um, through a woman um, is born in sin, has a sinful nature. So just like all the others, even the Ephesian believers... They were acting just like these people. Because that's who they were. And why? Because they were dead in their trespasses and sins. You see, when you are dead in your trespasses and sins, it's actually very visible. We would say, but dead means dead. No, no, no. This talks about spiritually. Physically, they were alive. Physically, they were going out and doing things. They were living in accordance to the prince of the power of the air. They were fulfilling the lusts of their flesh and whatever their minds, what came up in their minds, they, they did it because that's what they wanted to do. They loved to sin. They loved to transgress God's law. They loved to do what they were doing. And, and what Paul is doing here, and this is so amazing, he is telling the Ephesian believers exactly who they were before God made them alive. So that there would be no doubt in their mind that those who are not born again, those who do not have the Spirit of God, those people and the people who, who are so-called in the world, those who are so-called Gentiles, those who are so-called unbelievers, that there was no difference between the Ephesian believers before they were born again, before they were made alive, and the rest of the world. No difference. Beloved, because sometimes what happens is believers, as believers, we become arrogant. We really become arrogant. It's, and it's as if we live as if we were never sinners. As if we were saints from birth. As if we've just always been alive unto the Lord. And Paul comes and he says, it's not true. Not true. All you need to do is look at your own life. You look at the life of those in the world, you look at the life of the Gentiles, you look at the unsaved, and you will see everybody, everybody is dead in trespasses and sins. And it takes a miracle of the Almighty God to make 
sinners alive to to have a desire to now start living for God to have a desire to to now do the will of God it takes a miracle it takes a miracle of taking somebody from death to life it's like you go into a morgue now where all these these dead bodies are a mortuary and you walk in there and then you open up all the fridges and what you find in those fridges are dead bodies and you look at them and the next moment the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he says you become alive and you become alive and you become alive and here you see these corpses being raised from the dead all of a sudden they become alive it takes a miracle beloved it takes a miracle to for for a person that are so invested in the world and the things of this world so invested in in the things of the devil and so invested in in the lusts of their own flesh and the desires of their own heart and 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 trying to, uh, wanting to follow everything that comes up in their mind it takes a miracle to change that person from being in that state to being a follower of Jesus Christ to obeying the almighty God to hate sin to love God to love God's people to love the church to to love doing the will of God beloved it takes a miracle it takes an act of God who brings that sinner to life so that they can now live for God. That's where first verse 4 comes in. He says, but God. Uh, so he's saying to the Ephesian uh, believers, listen, believers, listen, Ephesian believers, you were no better off than all the sinners in the world because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay? But he says, something happened. And this is, I believe, the, the gospel. Now, this is where this, the, the gospel message come in. That's where, why Christ is worthy to open up the scroll and to open up the seals on the scroll because of what Jesus Christ did. He says in verse 4, this is Paul to the Ephesians, he says, but God, who is rich and in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us. So he says, but God. So you have all these negative things. You have all these things that is said about the Ephesian believers before they were born again, before Christ made them alive. But then you have this word in verse 4 that says, but God. You see, because it's God who makes the difference. It is God who brings to life. And why does God do it? Paul says, God who is rich in mercy. And, and re you remember, I've said it before, let me just say it again. Mercy is um, not to receive what I should receive. Nah? That's mercy. So God is rich in mercy and it because of his great love. And this love that is spoken about here with which he loved us is sacrificial love. 
It's that love that God had when Jesus Christ laid down his life. So God is rich in mercy. And because of his great love with which he loved us. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Wow. So God already showed his mercy to the Ephesian believers while they were dead in their trespasses and their sins. Wow. While they were dead, God showed them his mercy. He showed them his sacrificial love through the person of Jesus Christ who died, was buried, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven and will return. Wow. That's just amazing. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Oh, beloved, this is beautiful. This is so absolutely amazing. You see, when we were dead in our trespasses, what did God do? He made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace, unmerited favor, to receive that which I am not supposed to receive. That's grace. Not to receive what I'm supposed to receive is mercy. You see, we all are supposed to receive eternal damnation forever and ever. We are supposed to stay dead in our trespasses and our sins. But that's not what God does. God makes us alive. So what he does is, what we are supposed to receive is death. To continue in, in death, in spiritual darkness, in death, and eventually end up in the lake of fire. That's what we deserve. But God's mercy... Um, that God pours out on us allows us not to experience that. You see, we deserve eternal damnation. But God is full of mercy, therefore we do not receive eternal judgment. But grace is to receive God's forgiveness, to give, receive God's for, um, uh, salvation, to receive life even though I do not deserve it absolutely amazing because he says by grace you have been saved and then he says he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus there's this elevation that God not only makes sinners alive regenerates them gives them his grace and his mercy No, what he does is he elevates them. He raises them up. He makes them sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what he does for us. He says so so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He says so that in the ages to come, people might look at sinners who, who were made alive, sinners who were given the new birth, and people will be able to say, wow, isn't that amazing? You see, in the ages to come, 
God is going to show, and He does show, and He has shown, the amazing or the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Jesus Christ, that He makes us alive even though we don't deserve it. He gives us new life without us deserving it. He allows us to start desiring to do His will, to love God and to love His people without us deserving it. And then the crux of the matter is, verse 8, where Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. So we have been saved by unmerited favor. We receive the favor of God. It's unmerited. We cannot pay for it. We can't do anything for it. And it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. That means a, a full and complete trust in the saving ability of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been saved through faith. It says, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So God gives it freely. God gives it as a gift. And we don't work for gifts, though, do we? No. We receive gifts because it's a gift. And this is what God does as well. He makes us alive and He gives us the gift of salvation. Oh, it's a beautiful. So, so beautiful. Verse 9 says, Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So he says, It's not because of you or me. Not because of what we do. Not because of the, 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 the lives we live. Because we deaden our trespasses and sins. We live in accordance to the world. We live in accordance to what Satan wants. We do the desires of our flesh. And we listen to our own minds. And we do things that are not acceptable to God. So we can never ever boast about our salvation. Because we were dead. He made us alive. We were full of sin. He forgave us our sin. Absolutely amazing. So that none of us can boast. He gives us the gift of salvation. The gift of His grace. Which is the rebirth. He makes us alive. So that we can live with Him forever and ever. Oh beloved, it's so beautiful. And then verse 10 says, <laughs> wow, just listen to this. For we are his workmanship. What? We are his workmanship? He is the one who regenerated us. He's the one who made us alive. He is the one who, who changed us so completely that we no longer follow the prince of the power of the air. Yeah. We do not walk in accordance to the world anymore. We are no longer dead in our trespasses and our sins. We no longer do the works of disobedience like others who are not saved. We are not following the lust of our flesh anymore. We're not fulfilling the desires of our flesh and we're no, no longer doing what our mind tells us to do. Why? Because we are his workmanship. And beloved, God does an amazing job when he transforms us, when he changes us, when he saves us by his grace and he makes us alive. 
Absolutely amazing. Then he says, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And God prepared it beforehand that we should walk in them. So God already prepared certain things for you and me to do. Those who were going to be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, God already decided that there were certain things that you and I, certain works that we were going to do for him. He's going to make us alive, enable us to do the kind of works that he expects from us, to fulfill his purposes and his plans and to do his will. Well, that's what we are born again to do, is to no longer follow our own hearts and our own desires and follow after the devil's desires or to follow after the world. No, 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 no. Now we want to do what God wants us to do. Oh, beloved, and it is so, so beautiful. And, and that's the Apostle Paul just giving us a very good idea of what salvation is all about. Remember that these people were singing a new song saying, you are worthy, talking about Christ now, to take the scroll, to open the seals, for you were slain. You see, Jesus laid down his life and everything that revolves around it so that you and I may be saved, so that you and I may be redeemed to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Oh, beloved, I hope it's happened to you. I hope it's true about you that God, in his great mercy and his grace, that he has made you alive, that you can testify that it's not because of you you've received the gift of salvation of eternal life. If you haven't, oh, I beg of you, won't you turn to him? Won't you cry out to him? Won't you search after him? Won't you pour out your heart to him? Won't you cry out, Lord Jesus, save me, please? Oh, beloved. It's amazing. It's amazing. We can read the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation can mean something to us because we have been saved. We have received the rebirth as a gift. We have received salvation as a gift of God by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank You so much. Thank You that Jesus Christ is the one that's worthy to open up the scroll and to break the seals. Oh, but above all, thank you that Jesus Christ is the one who made us alive. Us who were dead in our trespasses and sins and saved us by his grace through faith in Christ and gave us this new life. Oh, Father, thank you so much. Thank you that we can read the book of Revelation knowing that Jesus Christ did it all for us. And thank you so much that we can read in the rest of the New Testament and especially in Ephesians that you have saved us so that we can do your will. Enable us to do it, Father, so that you may be glorified in and through Christ Jesus and in and through our lives. Father, this we pray, not because we deserve it, but we pray it in Jesus' precious name, the name above all names, the only name through which we can be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.
Beloved, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And may he give you his peace. God willing, until next time, bye-bye.